Genesis. Let's go to Genesis. We um, want to go into chapter 6. But again, like I said before, before we do, we want to look at the context of chapter 5. Now, this particular passage of Scripture has a lot of controversy about it. As we get into who the sons of God were, and then that opens up another whole set of issues. And I'm going to try my very best. One of the things that uh, God uses me in is to, uh, as apologetics, I, I do, and I call, a, a host a live call-in radio talk show, explaining scripture and bringing things into context. I've done this for over 25 years and, and uh, with Chuck Smith, many of the other uh, fairly well-known people. In fact, even Chuck Missler, who holds a different stance on this particular passage of Scripture than I do. And so I want to be fair to everybody. If you take a different stance on this, I, I don't view you any less of a Christian or anything like that. But there's reasons why I believe if we look at this in context, you're going to have a better understanding of not only this, but what we find here kind of works its way through the entirety of the Bible. And I believe that's why it's so important. So um, let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, we just ask you that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Give us your wisdom that comes from you. And Lord, that we'd be better equipped and understanding to defend our faith in these things and these days that we live in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like you, before we go any farther, let's just go to the very last verse of chapter 4. Very last verse of chapter 4, that'd be verse 26. And here it says, As for Seth, to him a son was uh, born. His name was Enosh. And this is the part I'm, I'm, I'm most concerned about. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Now, what is interesting here is in the original language, it doesn't give us how they were calling on the Lord. Some versions say, well, they uh, were profane calling on the name of the Lord. Some say, well, there was, a, there was a slight revival. I don't know. But I do know this. They began to call on the name of the Lord. And I know that oftentimes when people use the name of the Lord in vain, that is a call on the name of the Lord. God damn, you know, some awful thing that they'll say. And they're, they're calling upon God to do something. Well, this, some people believe this is what it was because what you're going to find through chapter 5 is an ebbing away from the principles and the part of God. Now, again, let's just go to chapter 5. We'll read a couple of verses here. This is the book of the genealogies of Adam in the day that God created man and made him in the likeness of God. By the way, and I've shared this so many times, you're created in the likeness of God. You're not a cosmic mistake. Lightning didn't hit a swamp, cause a bunch of squiggly things. A few billion years later, we all become truck drivers, okay? That is not what happened. You are divinely and gloriously designed. No one has ever been like you on this earth ever before. No one will ever be like you on this earth ever again. So you're unique in the time in which you are. And I believe this is one of the reasons why it's so important to spend a little time with God saying, hey, why am I here? You know, if you don't, you're going to be emulating or copying somebody else. Well, this is what they're doing. I guess this is what I need to do. Well, you know what? You don't look like them. You don't act like them. You don't have the same events in your life that was in their life. And so really, the old saying, you can't wear somebody else's shoes. You can't. 
You need to go to God and say, God, what do you want me to do? Now, it's so easy, friends, especially in a copycat society, to look around and see what is everybody else doing, and that's what I'll do. This is what we call fads. This is what we call trends. This is what we call, really, lack of inspiration. Because when you go to God, God will inspire you to do what he's called you to do. And again, just as no one else has ever looked like you on this planet, God's got a specific call for you to be about your father's business. And this is really important. So whether we're looking in the book of Genesis, we're looking in the Gospels, or whether we're looking in Revelation, the very last chapter of the Bible, your your book of the Bible, you're going to see that God has callings on every one of our lives if we'll just spend some time to say, God, what is it? See, this is what we, when we talk about being born again, that's what this is talking about. We're saying, I'm going to abandon my attempt to either copy what society is doing or what I think is best for me. And God, I'm going to bury that and I'm going to, from this day on, do what you want me to do. Father, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, and by the way, that's the only place you're going to really find fulfillment. Because I know a lot of people, they, they do what the world, society, the fads, the trends say to do, and they do those things, but at the end of the day, they go, but I'm not happy. Why? Because that shoe isn't yours. And only God is the master shoe fitter to put on your feet where he wants you to go. You know, the Bible says a man who loves God, his steps are pre- preordained. And that's important to remember. When you stop to think about it a minute, God's got a special thing for you to do. And again, that's just why I believe it's important, just as Jesus taught the disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, it tells us here that God made us in his likeness. Verse 2, it says, he created them male and female blessed them, and called them mankind in the day that they were created. Now, by the way, he blessed them. God's, you have to remember, God's heart towards humankind is to bless. You say, well, what about all the bad things that happen? Well, again, I think we cause a lot of our own problems, friends. I, as I look at my own life uh, and... and um, uh, being in my 60s, I look back and I go, I have created most of my own problems. But the greater thing to remember is this, God is bigger than anything wrong you've ever done. And because of that, we can give it to God and God fixes it. And I've shared this so many times. The religions of the world will tell you in some way, some mental state, how to get right with God. Go burn some incense sticks, go knock on some doors, uh, uh, you know, uh, wear certain clothes, recite mantras, focus on the third eye in the middle of your forehead. They got all kinds of goofy stuff you do, okay, to get right with God. But see, the thing is, Jesus made us right with God, and then Jesus restores us. Oh, I love that. Religions of the world offer no restoration for you as an individual. They might tell you how to mentally get right with God, but that's as far as it goes. God, actually, the Bible says, he restores the years the canker worm has eaten. You think about that. I need to be restored. You need to be restored. And if you're not being restored, let me share something with you. You are in Devo. 
Years ago, there was a band called Devo. And what it really was short for was de-evolution. In other words, you're going the wrong way. And I thought, how interesting that even in the world, non-safe people recognize that they're in a state of going backwards. But see, God doesn't want you to go backwards. God wants you to go forwards. But he wants you to go forwards with him. Because if you don't go forward with him, you're going to be walking into the mouth of the lion. And that's a dangerous place to be. So he says, he blessed them. Verse 3, and Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image. His name was Seth. Now it goes on and it tells us that Seth had sons and daughters. And this is why this is important. And, I, and, and so we're, gonna, we're all going to be Bible scholar students here, okay, today. Chapter 5 deals with the genealogy of Seth. Now, we remember Cain killed Abel. The Bible says that Adam and Eve had many other sons and daughters. But what's important here is chapter 5 deals with the lineage of Seth. Now, God made a promise to Eve that through her, Satan's head would be bruised. That's a mortal wound. That'll kill you. But, in fact, that Satan will bruise her child's heel. That's a recoverable wound. You might limp, but it's recoverable. God made a promise to Eve. And so even Adam and Eve recognized the importance of this particular son. Adam and Eve had many other sons, many other daughters. But they recognized that Seth was extra special, you might see. Now, in the lineage here of chapter 5, which we went over last week, we came across a couple of renowned persons. Number one was, was Enoch, the Bible says. The Bible says Enoch walked with God and God took him before the great flood. Now, I think that's important because I look for God to take us out of this world before God's great judgment, as we know, as the tribulation period comes upon the earth. But another one that's very much important in the lineage of Seth is Noah. Now you're starting to get the idea of all these genealogies, how they work. And by the way, by simply math, using math, you can begin to realize that, as it says, they begat many sons, many daughters. We have a general idea of how many children you could have in this amount of time. Multiply that by the number of people on the earth. And they estimate there was probably as many people on the earth at the time of the flood as there is today. Now, that's pretty amazing, really, when you think about it. But people lived to be a hundred, a thousand years old. Imagine living to be a thousand years old. Imagine actually being able to pay off your house or pay off your car before you die. I still think that's a neat idea. Well, this is what happens. Now, as we go into chapter six, recognizing, and now always remember this, in the original writings, there was not the graduations or the uh, divisions that we find. In other words, chapter five, chapter six, chapter seven. It was all one long story Reading, reading verse by verse, okay? So chapter 5, the lineage of Seth goes right into Genesis chapter 6. Now it came to pass, and we'll go to Genesis 6.1. It came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, daughters were born to them. Now, we have to realize a couple of things here. There are always in every crowd those who are aware and those that are not. 
There are those that have a true relationship with God and those who either don't care or don't understand who God really is. Now, one of my great heart's desire for all of you and all of the people listening by radio and by the internet is that you would know God in a personal way. Not just the God that's over there somewhere doing his thing and, hi, God, hello, how are you doing? I stopped by God's church last week. He's doing good. Got a good-looking building here. God, you're doing good. All right, well, hey, see you next week, next year, next decade. No, God, God's part of our life on a daily basis. And it says daughters were born unto them. Now, we have to realize if we, if we take into context chapter 4, 5, and now 6, there's a moving away from the heart of God. In fact, we find this great flood that comes upon the earth is because of man's rebellion. And so we have to, again, realize that we can't just stop and start, stop and start, stop and start through the Bible or tear things out of context. But if we read consistently through the Bible, you have the lineage of Seth. Now, you're going to see why this is important in just a second. But there was daughters that were born into people of the world. We, we understand that. The problem is, it says, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and they were beautiful, and they took for themselves of whom they ever chose. Speaking of the wives. Now, here's an important thing. The question ultimately comes down, who are the sons of God? And I understand that question. Some people say, well, because the book of Job talks about the sons of God being angels, these are angels that cohabitated with human beings and begat super babies. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, there's a lot of things theologically wrong with it, but there's also a DNA issue, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But the problem is, sons of God in the Old Testament and in the New Testament can also refer to human beings. And in every case, it, it's almost two to one, it always refers to human beings, not angelic beings. Now, here's what the problem is. God made a promise to Eve saying that through your lineage, through your seed, there would be one that would reverse the curse. So God was looking for that and followed the lineage of Seth and God was looking for that. Now, notice it says, men begin to multiply in the face of the earth. Daughters were born to them. What's wrong with that? Because not all daughters and not all boys love God. In fact, if you look today, you'll find that probably one of the greatest things that trip Christians up is the opposite sex. Always. Going out with people, well, they're so cute. They, I mean, they got that. They got that million-dollar smile. you got to use a lot of imagination with me. But anyway, the point is, is this, is that they look really good. And, and, and after all, if they look good and they smell good, they got to be good. So I guess that's, that allows me to marry them. Well, that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible very clearly speaks about those that are children of God and those that are children of the world. And the Bible tells us that 
It isn't, Solomon says, it isn't that the good rubs off on the bad, it's the bad rubs off on the good. And I suppose there's not a person in this room or listening today that doesn't know somebody who started off as a good Christian, got involved in dating a worldly person and forsook their faith, and now is almost apostate. I can think of lots that I know in my uh, time of being a Christian and those being around, even people that I grew up with in the church, as they began to date, they'd go to college, they'd be dating somebody, and all of a sudden their faith in God is undermined by who they're, they're associating with. I personally believe the sons of God, <clears throat> as it tells us in the book of uh, Psalms 82.6, you might want to write these down. Isaiah 41.23, that the children of God or the sons of God, Ben Elohim, are human beings. They're simply people who love God, but got sideswiped by people who didn't. The daughters of men. Now, it gives us a little bit more information here. The sons of God, the daughters of men, they were beautiful. And they took for themselves of whomever they chose, not whoever God chose. I I really believe that God has the right person for every person on earth. I think what causes that not to happen is when we get into sin. I think that sideswipes it, and I think that messes things up. And I believe when a person truly seeks the Lord, I believe God will bring not only the right people for friends in their life, but the right spouse for them as well. I, I just find that all the way through the Bible. And, and somebody says, well, uh, uh, the right person is the one that you, you choose. I don't believe that. I, I look through the Bible, I see there's enough evidence, whether we look at Adam and Eve, that God had the right spouse for Adam as we do all the way through the Bible and how God works. Well, he tells us here, He's, they saw and they, they chose. It wasn't asking God who he chose for them. And I believe this is a great place of downfall for people. And so the Bible clearly says, do not be unequally yoked together with non-believers. Now that means in marriage, that means in business. Yeah, but they're so nice. Yeah, but they serve a different God than you do. They serve themselves. You as a Christian, you serve God. And so what you do, the essence of your life is to thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But when you're not born again, their prayer is my kingdom come, my will be done. You put those two together, you're going to have issues. You're going to have problems. And this is why it's very important that we, we're very, we need to be very careful, first of all, who we marry, second of all, who we associate with as friends. Because the thing is, again, those people can influence the way you think and corrupt your heart. So it says whom they chose. It wasn't who God chose for them. It's whom they chose. And the Lord said, verse 3, my spirit shall not always strive with man forever. Indeed, his flesh and his days shall be 120 years. God saw the wickedness of human beings. And the problem is, just that it would be really neat to live a thousand years and pay your mortgage off. The problem is that, you know, I don't know if you know, but 
You know, you can kind of get good at sin. You can get really good at doing righteous things too, but you go, wow, you know, if I would have only done this instead of that, I wouldn't have got caught. So the next time I do it, I'll do it this way, this way. And you become a conniving scoundrel. This is a great problem. Well, it is interesting that uh, God cut man's life expectancy back to 100 years. 120 years. Now, we find it's not even that today. I always like it when you talk to, you see these TV talk shows, and they'll go, they go how old are you? Oh, I'm mid-age. I'm, I, I'm, I'm mid-life. How old are you? I'm 60. No, no, dude, you're over the hill. No one goes 120. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're gone. So here's, here's one of some of the problems that we see here. We realize that unless a person changes, they become more of whatever they are. Have you ever noticed that? I don't know how many people here you've ever gone into an old folks home and you'll go in there and you'll see some of the sweetest old people you've ever met in your life. And I have been in an old folks home and met some of the most foul mouthed, hard nosed people I've ever met in my life. And it's weird. Time sets you into whatever you are. And so I really believe that when we become born again, we yield ourselves to God and God continues to work that. I remember I had a couple of um, aunties years ago that devoted their whole life to serving God. And I remember that they would, um, I, I, my mom would bring me over and say, okay, mow their lawn, I mow their lawn. I, she'd give me $5 and I'd mow their lawn. I remember I was over there mowing their lawn. She'd usually go shopping or something for them, get them groceries and stuff, leave me there to mow their lawn. I remember one time my auntie, she said, come over here. And I, I said, okay. And I remember sitting down on the couch, uh, on, a, on a, a swing with her, and she said, I want to pray for you. And I thought, you know, I, I'm 12 years old. Okay. And we're on this swing, and she said, I just want, God, you to be able to have him speak to the whole world. And I'm sitting there swinging and go, oh, man, <laughs> loony auntie. But she was right. Soft heart, giving heart. But I've ran, been around older people, and they're stingy, and they're hard-nosed, and they're foul-mouthed. I just ask you just a simple question. Are you on the right road this morning? Do you see yourself becoming more conformed to the life of Christ or more conformed to yourself in bitterness? These are questions that we have to ask. And so he says, 120 years, that's it. You're done. So what are we going to do with these 120? 20 years. What are we going to do with our 100 or 75 years or whatever? By the way, you don't have to be old to die. I, I, I still, and as, as I am, as probably most of the world was, Kobe Bryant crashing in a helicopter. And you know what's so weird? Solomon got this in the book of Solomon. He, he, said, he said, it's really weird. How does a rich person die? Just like a poor one. It doesn't matter whether you 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 Eat Candalpo under a freeway overpass, get botulism and die? Or you're the richest person in the world and die in a helicopter crash? It, it, it's weird. It's, it's, it's like not fair. All my money does not make me live longer. And you stop to think about that. 120 years maximum top end, and you find people that live a different life. What are we doing with the life we have? We have to sometimes do that. I think sometimes Sunday mornings are really good 
for um, reevaluation of life expectancy. I think it's really good. I, I, I'll tell you another good time is when you go to a memorial service, friend dies or mom or dad or loved one dies. That's really good. I, I call them mile markers on the road of life. And, and when we look at it, we go to a, a, a memorial service or a funeral service, and, and, and we're sitting there, and everybody's around there, and there's no guarantee that we won't all be back in that same room next week with one of the other people, or even me. So what manner of people, then, should we be? You only got so many days, God reminds us that of this here. Now, verse 4. There were giants on the earth in those days. Now, I believe also that we're giant dinosaurs as well and giant a lot of things. I, we see the fossil records, and there's some pretty interesting critters that lived a long time ago. Well, here it says, there were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward. Now, I don't know if you like to underline things in your Bible, but I would suggest this, underlined and also afterwards. Why is that? Let me ask a question. We watched the Super Bowl game. And then afterward, we went and got ice cream. When did I get the ice cream? After the Super Bowl game. What it says. I mean, that's, that's what it's saying here, too. Notice, you say, you, you'll see why in a second. And there were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward... When the sons of God came into the daughters of men, that they bore children to them, mighty men, those of old, men of reputation or men of renown. Now, I, I look at this and uh, I'm, I'm, I, I kind of get taken back by this a little bit because it says that um, there were giants on the earth, okay, but they have nothing to do with the rest of this because and also afterwards. In fact, you'll notice that it, it's even set aside with commas, which basically take this phrase and they're driving a point saying that the giants were already here and then whoever the sons of God were and whoever the daughters of men were, they had kids of great reputation, men of renown. Now some of, the, uh, some of your, uh, if you get a, like a Hebrew lexicon, it says um, they were mighty men. Uh, it can also, the word can also be used as a thug. <laughs> they were thugs in those days. Um, I often wonder, right before the, the Lord destroyed this earth with a flood, this verse could imply organized crime, men of renown. People doing things were really bad. In fact, this word can imply that. And so it says, there were giants on the earth in those days. The word here is Nephilim. They were just big dudes. And then afterwards, the giants were already here. The daughters, or sons of God saw the daughters of men were fair. And they begat children to them. These were mighty men, men of old, men of renown. I don't see the great connection between these being fallen angels and human beings. Uh, based upon, again, uh, Psalms 82.6, 
Isaiah 41.23, Ben Elohim, referring to people who love God being called the children of God or the sons of God. And all, every time in the New Testament, the sons of God appear, and this is found in uh, first, uh, excuse me, John chapter one, to them gave he power to become the sons of God to as many as them that would believe on his name. Six times you find the phraseology sons of God in the New Testament every time it refers to human beings. Two times in the Old Testament, again, Psalms 82.6, Isaiah 41.23, and only two times, or excuse me, three times do we find sons of God referring to angels, but that is only in the book of Job. Now you say, why is that important? Well, because of this. They came to Jesus, the Sadducees. Now the Sadducees didn't believe in life after death. They believed that following God, this idea, concept of God, being good to your fellow man, it's a good moral way to live, but when you're dead, you're dead. The Pharisees, on the other hand, believe in life after death, angelic beings, supernatural things, but the Sadducees didn't. And this is how I always remember it. That's why they were sad, you see. Okay, I know it's corny, but it helps me remember the difference between a Pharisee who believed in life after death, angels, and all those things, and the Sadducees who just believed when you're dead, you're dead, okay? They came to Jesus. And they said, Jesus, this is found in Matthew 22, starting in verse 25. Jesus, there was a woman among us, and she married a man. And he died. And so customary to Jewish tradition, her brother then, his brother marries her. And he died. And his brother married her and he died. Till all seven brothers were married to this woman and they all died. The question was, in heaven, whose wife will she be? My question would have been, how was this woman killing him? Was she a bad cook? I don't know. But (laughs) by the very nature of the question, see, and Jesus, knowing they were Sadducees, and then talking about life after death in heaven, whose wife will she be? I mean, it's like screaming, trick question, trick question. And so Jesus said, you err not knowing the scriptures. Isn't that weird? Jesus rebuked them and said, you, you don't know the Bible. You err not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. For there is no marriage in heaven, but as the angels are. I think this is important. I remember a story, true story. This woman came to me and she said, Mike, a couple of well-dressed guys came to my door this week. And they knocked on my door and they had their literature from their organization. And they said, only in our church can you be sealed for time and eternity in the temple. And that way you'll be married throughout all of eternity. And she says, I got so mad at them. She said, she said get out of here. I don't want to talk to you anymore. And they said, how did we offend you? What did we say? She said, I spent 20 years with this bum. I am not spending eternity with him. True story. The point is, he said, you err not knowing the scripture or the power of God. 
They neither marry nor given in marriage, but as the angels are. When people say that these are angelic beings, I've got to ask a couple of questions. First of all, do we find anywhere in the Bible that angels create anything, make anything? The answer is no. They are warriors. They are messengers. They're protectors. But we never find them creating anything. It seems that God has given the ability to create, believe it or not, moms and dads, dads and moms, to us. We're the ones that create things. God made us in his image. God's the greatest creator, inventor, designer in the world. And he gave us that capability to do that. But you'll never find anywhere in the Bible angels create or make anything. That's the first word. Number two, there's no marriage in heaven, but as the angels are. So the next question then would be, do angels have them parts to make other angels? Well, knowing that that is not how, and we find no word of this anywhere in scripture, God created the angels and he made them but there's no word about them making more, the angels making more angels. You don't find that. That's what God gave to us. And so being that God doesn't waste, why would he put parts on angels that were never going to be used? Logically, it doesn't make sense either. So when you look at this, this is why I have to reject the angels being the sons of God and move more towards the Psalms 82.6, where we're children of God, Ben Elohim. Isaiah 41.23, also speaking of us being that. And you say, well, why is that important? Because it transcends into other aspects of the Bible. Now, in Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 37, Jesus talks about this. Now, what we're reading about in the timeline is right before the great flood came upon the earth. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, as in the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. They were eating, drinking, marrying, given in marriage until Noah entered the ark. Now, it doesn't say they were they were eating, drinking, having wild sex orgy with angels. No, it doesn't say that. Sorry. I think Jesus would have told us about that. But it doesn't say that. Now, here's why. If we get off in an area, it would transcend into all of it. You know, the thing is, is that I believe that God's word is a very intricate, dovetailed love message to all of us human beings. First of all, to show us that we're not a cosmic accident, that God has a divine purpose for every one of us. If we'll yield our life to him, we'll understand what that's about and that we don't get off under, into, into, into avenues that do not produce anything. This is what religion, friends, can't do. And this is why I'm basically opposed to men's religions. Religion never restores you to your heavenly father. You know, that's what God wants from us is a relationship whereby we say, daddy, 
Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father. Now, I go over this a lot, but this is what every religion misses. And even in the Protestant world, even today, well, you know, I worship on Saturday. Well, good. That doesn't make you a child of God. Your heart relationship with your Father makes you a child of God. This is the problem. Rules and regulations. I had a call this past week on Every Man and Answer. And he asked the question, he said, well, what about all in the Old Testament, the the new moons and the Sabbaths and the festivals and Passover and first fruits and all those things? Aren't we supposed to be keeping them now as Christians? Paul tells us they're the, the, the schoolmaster that brought us to Christ. They were the the thing that they had until the real thing came. It it would be like like, um, that in this box, someday, we're going to get the gift. And then the gift shows up, and there it is. It's beautiful. It's awesome. It's there. And we go, wow, let's go back and worship the box. Oh, wonderful box. You're such a wonderful box. No, you actually have the manifestation of what the box was about in your midst. And I asked the guy this question. I said, are you married? He goes, yes. And I said, do you kiss your wife because you want to or because you have to? And he said, well, because I want to. And I said, that's the difference between the law and the Old Testament and God's grace in the new. See, the law makes us do things. Thou shalt not. And we go, okay, okay, I won't do that. I'll be a good kid, okay? That is a legal relationship. Now, does it work? Well, as we study scripture, we find it doesn't work very well. In fact, when you get to Acts chapter 15, when Gentiles started getting saved, they said, what laws are we going to put on the Gentiles since none of our forefathers could keep them anyway? So we understand that the law does not save a man, but the law will show you your need for a savior. But when we become born again, God's grace comes upon us. And that is what changes and no longer a legal relationship, but a love relationship with God. Now, somebody from a distance might look at a man kissing his wife and say, oh, they both have the same relationship with their wife. No, not necessarily. The act might be the same, but the heart can be completely different. And that's the difference between a love relationship and a legal relationship. God wants, through Jesus Christ, for you a love relationship where you cry, Daddy. Now, I don't want to take that daddy relationship for granted, saying, well, I can go out and do what I want because I know daddy's going to forgive me. But I want to understand that that's the relationship God wants to have with us. Big, big difference. And so nothing you and me do, isn't this great to know? Make me more lovable. You're lovable the way you are to God. And that's an important thing. So in other words, me saying, well, I wear blue or I worship on this day or I do this or I do that doesn't make you any more a child of God. What makes you a child of God is your decision to say, Daddy, adopt me. 
And God does that. Well, as we look at this here. Verse 5. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth. And then every intent and thought of his heart was only evil continually. That's what the whole world was about. Hey, we were nasty yesterday. How much more nasty can we be today? And you know what? God, God saw that. And so the Lord was sorry that he had made man that he placed on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Now, is it that God did not know that man was going to go sideways? Yes, God knew that. This is basically from man's perspective. But I believe it does grieve God when God says, I had so much to give you, so much to offer you, and instead you chose the wrong way. So the Lord says, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Man, imagine that. God saying, I'm sorry I made man. You know, there's things in my life I've done that I'm sorry for. If you've ever painted a car with a bug sprayer, you're sorry you did that. If you've ever been cooking something and say, well, I don't have this spice, I'll use another one. You're sorry you did that. I'm sorry I did this, sorry I did that. I think there's a lot of sorries that we have in our life. But the one thing God wants from us is repentance. It's something that man isn't good at doing. But notice verse 8, this descendant of Seth, and this again, why I believe this is important. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We're going to stop there today. Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. He was the exception to society in those days. Now, first of all, it says the whole world basically corrupted themselves and Noah was an exception. Do you realize you're an exception in your generation as well? Pray this morning you recognize that. If you don't, we're going to pray right now and you can accept Christ as your Savior. You can change from serving yourself to serving God. You can change from having everything you accomplish in your life die when you die or the things that you do will follow you throughout all of eternity. I've had people tell me, I don't care. As long as I get to heaven by the skin of my teeth, I'll be happy. Well, that's a stupid way to live. Let me explain why. You may not care about rewards today in heaven, but I guarantee you when you're in heaven someday, you're going to be glad you're getting some. And you'll remember me telling you this. Lay up for yourselves, as Jesus said, treasure for yourself in heaven where moth, steel, rust, thieves don't break through and steal, but things that will last forever. God offers us in salvation to trade away something we can never keep. All the money, everything we have, we can lose the minute we die. Or you can lay up for yourself treasure in heaven that you will never lose. Great, great trade, man. Something I can't keep? To trade for something I can keep? Only a fool would say no to that. But you see, the Bible talks about the things of God can be foolishness in the eyes of the world. This morning, it's a decision you make. It's where you say, okay, God, from this day forward, I'm going to commit my life into your hands. Make me the best I can be for you. Let me ask you one last question, and then we'll have communion. 
You want another 10 years like you just had? Another five years like you just had? Another 15 years like you just had? Or you want to say, God, I I need something new in my life, please. That's what God will do. Because that's what he does. He makes all things new. So understanding this, what we learned today, is it possible for bad relationships to corrupt us? Through marriage, through business? Absolutely. Can we find ourselves doing things that we would wish we would have never done had we not been around these, this group of people? Absolutely. This morning, if you're tired of doing it yourself, I just invite you, we're going to pray. You can ask God to come in your life. And you can turn your life over to him. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I'm sorry for the foolish way that I've lived. And so now I commit my life into your hands. I ask you to make me the best I can be for you. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. Your blood covered my sins. And so write my name in your book of life. I never want to be scared of dying ever again. And I want my life to mean something while I'm still here for you. So now fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me that I can do what you've called me to do. And Lord, may I walk in your love each and every day in Jesus' name. Amen.